Please turn this morning to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we'll read verses 24 through 29. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit. That is our hope and that is our trust. We cannot hear, we cannot apply anything apart from your spirit doing it within us. And we ask that you would indeed work in our hearts this morning and through the words that I speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is here at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. Having preached what his followers should do, he went on to give them a parable comparing and contrasting those who obey him with those who don't. Now, the very common application given of this parable is, uh, as the children's song says, build your house on the Lord Jesus Christ. But what does that mean? It's easy to answer theological questions with theological answers and come away with no more knowledge than you had when you started. Except you know what the appropriate answer is. But it has no meaning. Well, hopefully, as we have been going through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' words will have more than just an abstract meaning to us. We all want to withstand the floods. We all want to be founded on the proper foundation. But in order to withstand these floods and tempests and trials that come, we must be anchored. And this morning, I want us to see what it means to build upon the rock. And especially this morning, we're going to look at three ways that we must build, and then hopefully some more uh, detailed application of you know how we will do that in our daily lives. Well, in, in the parable, keep in mind, first of all, that Jesus is building on what he has said in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and the earlier portion of chapter 7. Everything from blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven, all the way through the verse prior to verse 24, or, well, the verses prior to verse 24, when he's warning of false prophets. All of this is included, and you can read in other portions, especially Luke chapter 6, where a similar sermon is given. Uh, this is called the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke chapter 6, that's traditionally called the Sermon on the 
plain, because Jesus was not speaking on a mountain there. Uh, someone who is very liberal who would say that Jesus actually, uh, that, that no one ever heard all these things at one time. They just compiled them all together. But, and the reason I say that is because some of the things in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are in different order than they are in Luke chapter 6. But don't let that throw you. That should not shake your your confidence in the Word of God. If you've ever heard a preacher preach for more than, say, two or three weeks, you've probably heard that preacher say a few of the same things, right? Well, most of you in here have heard myself and Brother Mike for years. And I have no doubt that you've heard us say some of the same things. And you might even say we've both preached at times some of the same sermons just using a different text. Well, I don't apologize for that altogether. Now, I realize if a preacher only preaches the same sermon every week and never varies, then you know that can be a problem. But on occasion, going back to a theme that's been mentioned earlier is not a bad thing because Jesus himself did that. Our Lord was making his point about how his followers will live. He's warned, or he's taught us how our hearts should be. We should be pure in heart. We should be merciful. We should be poor in spirit. We should be meek. We should be willing to suffer persecution. Then he told us that we should be salt and light. And the way that we display salt and light is through honoring him and trusting in the one who's fulfilled the law on our behalf, and then we in turn also display the fulfillment of the law in the works that we do. In things like not walking in anger, not walking in lust, not swearing falsely, not engaging in hatred towards those that contradict us, in how we live positively, in our worship and our prayer, and our giving, all of these things. Jesus has taught us how we should live. But it's not enough just to hear how we should live. Hearing is great. But you have to go further than just hearing. So, number one, that the first way that we must build is that we must build with purpose. We must build with purpose. Meaning, we must be doers of the word and not hearers only. Verse 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. So the way that you build, it must be with direct intentions of putting into practice what the Lord has said. Not just receiving it and letting it go by the wayside. You know, there was a parable that Jesus would tell later on in the book of Matthew about those who hear the Word. And some of them, for a time, would receive it with gladness. In other words, he said it's like seed that is sown, and the seed springs up immediately because the ground is hard. They receive it, but then when tribulation and persecution arise for the Word's sake, it withers. It gets too hot. Well, well, then there's also some that 
that weeds come and it, they choke it. Well, all of these people, those who had the word choked, those who can't withstand drought, those are the are ones who hear the word and don't put it into practice. You say, well, maybe, well, it sounds like they did for a time in, in the other parable about the sower. Well, yes, but we'll look at that also. It's necessary that we not just put it into practice once, but that we live a life of practicing this. Building with purpose, being a doer of the word and not a hearer only, means that we must be willing to risk what it costs to follow him publicly. I hold great optimism for the long-term future of the kingdom of God. However, I also can observe, as I hope you can as well, that in our country currently, it is becoming less and less popular to be a doer of the Word. We have all kinds of individuals and organizations that make it their goal of limiting what God's people can say and do. We want freedom for everyone else to speak what they want, to live as they want, to make a public display of what they want except for God's people. And we are passing laws now that enforce everyone else's right to follow their pagan gods publicly, but in turn, those laws restrict the ability of Christians to obey their God publicly. And when that happens... we know that further judgment will come unless there is repentance. You cannot read the history of Israel or the history of even the other nations who would not obey God and say that, well, we are exceptional. Now, now granted, Right now, the Lord has had great mercy upon us. I read earlier this week the German Chancellor uh, in the late 18, early 1900s, Otto von Bismarck, said that the Lord has special providence for drunkards, thieves, and the United States of America. He has, there's ways that people who you would think can get away with all kinds of stuff, they're still alive. And the United States has navigated through a lot of things that should have probably sunk our boat. But, as Christians, even though our beliefs 
and our practice of putting the word in putting the word in action rather than just hearing it that is becoming less and less popular we cannot forego the commands of god we must build with purpose we must build with the intention that we are going to follow him that we are going to be a doer not just a hearer and it is becoming more popular in the church to talk about just hearing there are all the time buzzwords in theological camps in, in different churches that you know everyone uses. And these words, if you know how to use them, you can usually get a little bit of appreciation. But it's not enough just to know the right words. It's not enough to talk about things that make people feel good about themselves spiritually. If you read how Jesus interacted with people, uh, th- th- there's a, a classic contrast a lot of people make. They said, well, Jesus loved the open sinners who didn't have anything to do with the, quote, church, and he really took to task all the people who did and who were associated with any organized religion. That's not it. That is a false antithesis. Jesus came down hard against those who were arrogant. Whether they were inside the faith, like many of the Pharisees and scribes, or outside the faith, like someone such as Pilate. Jesus did not mince words with Pilate. He did not mince words with Herod. John the Baptist surely didn't mince words with Herod. So they came down against any who were arrogant in their open sin. But they, Jesus had love for those who were repentant. Those who were humble. Yes, we talk about prostitutes, and tax collectors and Samaritans. But let's also talk about Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a part of the establishment. Yet, he was, at one time at least, a at the least a closet follower of Jesus. And then, we see at the crucifixion, he was a public follower of Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea. He was a public follower of Jesus. So my point here is that we can't make this contrast between those who are, you know, outside and who have nothing to do with the church and those who are inside. Jesus says, if you hear my words and do them, whoever you are, whatever stage you're in, whether you are first turning to faith, whether you are have been in the church and, and are walking before Him as you have been for the last 60 years, you're still called to build and you're still called to live in a way that is honoring openly to God. But in order to build on the rock, that means you must first fall on the rock. Turn over to Matthew 21. 
Jesus presents something that can be confusing. Matthew 21, verses 42 through 44, Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read the Scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And here's the verse I want us to hear. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. You say, well, neither one of those are really pleasant-sounding options. Either you fall on the rock or it falls on you. Well, brothers and sisters, if you are not falling on the rock regularly, and if you have not at one time ever cast yourself upon the mercy of the rock, you can't build on it. Jesus' warning in Matthew 21, those Jews who are contradicting, who are talking against Jesus, those who had the, they had the hearing part down. They knew how to, to hear, but they were not going to obey. Jesus was speaking to them and He said, whoever falls on the rock, that person will be broken. In other words, that's good. But for the one on whom the rock falls, that person will be ground. And all those false followers, those wolves in sheep's clothing, they were indeed ground into powder. Some of them literally ground into powder when Jerusalem was destroyed. We must give up all pretensions of looking religious without acting religious. We must be willing to submit publicly to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and say, as Martin Luther did when he was standing before those who opposed him, here I stand, I can do no other. And when the world says, you are a person filled with hate. When the world says, you are a woman hater. Because you think that abortion's wrong. You are a bigot. Whether that person is inside the church or outside the church, lovingly, graciously, and boldly, we must stand upon the rock upon whom we are built. And it should not be a matter of secrecy. We should not qualify our discipleship but proclaim our discipleship. Number two, the second thing that second way that we must build is that we must build with prudence. 
We must build with purpose, but we must also build with prudence. Here's what I mean by prudence. In Proverbs, we're told that a prudent man foresees evil. Okay? Someone with prudence looks past the first level of reaction to what is done. It looks past the consequences of today. If we are prudent, we will follow through and we will stick with what we believe because we know what's coming. Instead of doing what is temporarily pleasing. He said that for the one who hears his sayings and does them, he will liken him to a wise man whose house is built on the rock. And then he said, in verse 25, that the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. Now, most of the people who have written about this passage in commentary say that the idea is of one who's building their house on a some type of stream bed. Apparently that was a common way, common place to build one's house. And if you wanted to get it done quickly, you would do it just putting it, you know, building it on whatever that regular earth, because in Luke chapter 6 he says it's like one who builds his house, the foolish man builds it on the earth, whereas the wise man builds it on the rock. Well, here it says like one who, a foolish man is the one who builds a house on the sand. Well, if you want to get it up quickly and, and you want to have you know shelter as fast as possible and you're only worried about right now, then yes, you will get that house built. Just like, again, the parable of the one who's, uh, of when the seed is sown and it springs up immediately. Very similar idea. But Jesus calls the man who knows that the rain will come and the winds will blow, calls this person a wise man. This man is one who is looking towards what will happen in the future. The man probably knows that the area is prone to floods. And therefore, he works at securing his house, even though it takes more effort and it is more difficult than if he just were to build it quickly without having a proper foundation. In Luke 14, Jesus reminded his followers of what it would cost them. He said, if you're going to be my disciple, you must take up your cross, or take up the cross and follow me. Then he goes on to say, who of you, if you're going to build a house, doesn't first count the cost? Then he uses a nice illustration. All of Jesus' illustrations are nice, but I really like this one. About a soldier who's about to go out to battle. And the person, or the leader, counts how many soldiers he has before he engages. So he is strategic in his plans. 
When we aren't building, we don't build because we just want to have any old place to go. Although leaders in the communist movement have long said that Christianity is the opiate of, or excuse me, religion is the opiate of the masses. Meaning that religion is something that weak-minded people gravitate towards to make them feel good about themselves during times of trouble. It's something that, that people need who can't deal with the everyday hard facts of life. So they go and, and pretend that there's a God and that He actually loves them and cares about them and, and so on. So, so that, that's what they say. And we have to know that that's not what we're doing. But, but there are people, I will say, who come into the church for a time And their reason is because they just they want to feel better about themselves. I mean, I, I've read articles written by people who profess to be Christians who said the reason I came to faith is because Jesus helped me feel so much better about myself. He, he, he made me feel good. I'm not joking when I'm saying this. I'm not. I'm not just coming up with this. There are people who talk about just you know, Jesus does. He does these things for me, and you know I don't want to totally say that's that's all false because honestly, if you are a follower of Christ, there is joy in serving the Lord. All right. There is. If, if the only hope we have is after we die, Paul said, we're of all men most pitiable if there's no resurrection. So, we do have hope. And we do give thanks that the Lord Jesus causes us to, to have, in many times, a, a more positive and hopeful outlook than we would otherwise. But, for the person who only professes faith because it grants a temporary feeling of pleasure, if that's the only reason, then that person will not remain. Because, if you serve the Lord for very long, you know every day is not sunshine, and thornless roses. Every day is not always more glorious than yesterday. There are days of darkness. There are days of trial. There are days when the floods come and the winds blow and they beat on the house. And it sounds really rough. And we think, is this place going to last? You know, something that has been encouraging to me, as I've read many times in, in the lives of great saints in the past, is not only to read of their accomplishments 
for the kingdom. And there are plenty who have had great accomplishments. But, and I'm not masochistic here, okay? I, I think most of you know that about me. But I've been encouraged to know that great and godly men and women have had great struggle. I'm not thankful that they had struggle. I mean, again, I don't take pleasure in other people's pain. But knowing that there are men and women that we look up to. William Wilberforce, Charles Spurgeon, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Gill, Isaac Bacchus. And we can go on and on. These Men, and I know I didn't mention any women there, but, but and there are plenty of women that I would add as well. We, what we could say. But these people all faced great trial, not only outward trial, but they faced inward struggle. You write, you read in their journals about how they were Questioning God, not in a a sinful way, but in a similar way to David in the Psalms. Why have you forsaken me? In Psalm 22. Now I know that that's that's a prophecy of what Jesus would say, but guess who said it first? David. So there are people who face trials and we must keep the fact in our minds that we will face trials. This is not a perfect, broad path. This path is narrow. The floods are going to come whether you are righteous or not. A foolish man does not see, he he does not observe that God's judgment that God's floods will come. So he builds whatever's easiest. He doesn't build with the future in mind. Floods are impossible to escape. And sometimes we can attempt to run. But if your only purpose is to run from floods just because you say, I don't want to live a life of of having to deal with a flood, then you're going to face another flood. Everywhere you turn, there will be floods that come. There will be winds that blow. You'll face times of hardship. You'll face times of spiritual barrenness. And it's important that you keep this in mind so that you may spend your time now firmly building on the appropriate foundation so that you will be display yourself a wise man or a wise woman rather than a foolish man. Well then, in addition to building with purpose and building with prudence, we're told to build with patience. Build with patience. Now, we don't see it as much in this Passage, but in Luke chapter 6, verse 47, we see it in one phrase. Jesus said, 
Whoso cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you whom he is like. Verse 48. He is like a man which built an house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. So this includes the phrase, and digged deep. In other words, this man set anchors in the rock and didn't just build on top of the rock. You know, I can remember being a kid and I didn't know about having an appropriate foundation and being anchored to a foundation. So I always thought, you know, what's the difference if you just build your house on top of a rock or if you build it on top of dirt? If your house can get knocked down. And you know, I, I wasn't just being ignorant. If that's all you do is just build on top of it, well, sure, it's gonna, it can fall down, but that's not what's done. In every house, if you live in a normal house, not necessarily a, a mobile home or something like that, it is anchored to a foundation. There's a foundation that is laid, and then the frame that goes up is anchored to that foundation. Well, that's what Jesus is saying. The person who is wise will anchor, will dig into the foundation in order to have something to hold on. Remember what Jesus had warned about in the passage right before this. He had warned about false teachers who were coming. And he said, you'll know them by their fruits. And then he said that there was going to be some that say, Lord, have we not cast out devils in your name? Have we not done many wondrous works in your name? And what is Jesus going to say? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. These people called him Lord. They did what we would consider great things, yet he says depart. What is the difference? As I said Tuesday night, the difference is not the work that you have done, the difference is who you're anchored to. You cannot fasten yourself to Christ. Alright? You can't do that. And if you and, and if it was up to us to fasten ourselves to Christ, first of all, we wouldn't want to, and second of all, if we tried, we couldn't. Because we don't have enough strength. He fastens you to Himself. Your salvation is not tied up in your actions. Your salvation is tied up in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone, granted to you by the Holy Spirit because of the predestined work of God, the predestined plan of God the Father. So you cannot be removed from the rock based on what you do. But hear me when I say this. You are passively active in your sanctification. You are passively active in your sanctification. What do I mean by that? When I say passive, uh, someone who's passive, you know, we think of someone who's not doing anything. Okay? And you say, that's an oxymoron. How can you be passively active? Well, because you're not the one who initiates any part of your salvation from beginning to end. Alright? You are granted 
salvation through Christ, and we are told it is He that works in you to will and do His good pleasure. You say, well, I'm not too sure about that. Well, the other option is, are you the one that's working in yourself to will and do His good pleasure? Please don't say yes. So, He is the one who works in you, yet you are called, the first part of the verse I just quoted, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You are called to dig. You are called to work. You are called to build with patience. That means it's not something you can do one time. It's not something you can do quickly. It's something that requires daily work. You have a responsibility mean you have a responsibility to dig. Meaning you are called to work towards putting the teachings of Jesus into practice. Jesus said, the one who hears the sayings of mine and does them, I will liken to a wise man who built his house on the rock. But the one that hears the sayings of mine and doesn't do them, I will liken him into a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Both men build, but only one digs for that building. So, practically speaking, how do we build on the rock? I want to give you briefly four things to put this into practice. You say, all right, you've told us to to build with purpose, to build with prudence, to build with patience. Now, how do you build? Number one, listen to God speak. Oh boy, that certainly sounds easy. And I, I have to say, if it, if it was only audibly, I'd have to say, you know, all right, he's going to have to speak during the kids' nap times or at night because there's no other time that I can listen. But it is important. Jesus said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. So we have to hear. We have to listen to God speak. You say, that sounds really mysterious. But it shouldn't be mysterious at all. How do you listen to God speak? Like this. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That is the Word of God. Okay? That is God I'm not saying that I am God speaking, okay? But that is the word. When you hear that word, that is God speaking. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here's another one. Honor your father and mother. That's God speaking. Let love be without hypocrisy. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, the heavens and the earth. The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. That is God speaking. Hear Him, listen to Him. I know that in some ways that sounds good. On the other hand, you think, but. But I read my Bible already. 
just reading isn't necessarily everything. You need to hear. And this is one reason why I would suggest listening to Scripture rather than only reading it. And if you're the type that you don't like listening to somebody else read, then read it aloud. You know, the, the last, the, the idea of reading silently is something that's very recent in history. Very recent. People would, uh, up until about 100 or 150 years ago, nobody read silently. That's not reading. That's looking at words and thinking about them. So people would read out loud, and especially the Word of God. The Word of God is meant to be heard. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to read or you know, and to not say it. I'm not saying that's wrong at all. But I am saying that the Word is intended for us to hear. There is power in hearing the Word of God. And we live, praise the Lord, in an age where you can, if you have an internet connection, you can listen to the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation and not from someone that sounds like a robot. That is available. So, listen to the voice of God. Number two, keep His words before you at all times. Keep His words before you at all times. Here's what I mean by that. Take a passage of Scripture and listen to it over and over and over. It may be a book. It may be a chapter. It may be a set of verses within a chapter. But 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 don't you know? Don't narrow it down too much. Take a passage and listen to it until you are filled to the brim with this passage. I mean, it's, it feels like it's about to come. You put so much in your ears, you feel like it's about to come back out of your ears. You say, "Won't I get tired of it?" I sure hope not. And the reason I'm saying this is because a lot of times when we listen to God's Word or when we're reading, we just we read over a chapter or five chapters or a book and then we don't go back to that until either the preacher preaches on it, until it's in one of our, you know, a verse or two from a daily devotion refers to it, or we come around the next year and read it again. And so we don't have a thorough grounding in what He is saying. And sometimes it means hearing it over and over and over. So do this when you're, if you're, if you cut grass and, and, and listen to something, do it when you're cutting grass. Play it on your CD player in your car. But, Keep it going. Because when you are keeping the Word of God before you, it will develop in new ways that it, wouldn't, it would not before. If any of you have ever read much poetry, 
And by read much poetry, I mean you've done more than read a poem once and then say, that's nice, and then move on to something else. To understand what a poem is saying, you have to read it at usually, at the very least, about 12 times. You say, well, that strikes out any hope I ever had of reading much poetry. But, but, but it's worth it. But you have to read it a lot in order to really get what is being said, to, to get the flow of, of the argument, to, to get the voice, all of it. And the Word of God, a big portion of it is just that. It is literature. A lot of it is poetry. And so we should listen to it in that way. Number three, select a portion of Scripture to focus on in a given week. Select a portion of Scripture to focus on in a given week. Now, you know, that may sound like what I just said about keeping it before you at all times. But when I'm speaking of this, I mean you take a passage and you meditate on it, you think about it, and then you try to put it into practice that week. You make a point of saying, all right, this week I'm going to focus on whatever the passage is. And this really, I mean, it, it, we would think it would only work for, you know, the practical portions of like the epistles and things like that. But you can do this with Proverbs, with the Psalms. You can even do it with the historical books. When you're reading about Joseph and his brothers and his dreams, you know, take that and listen to part of it and then pray for a week every day. Lord, teach me how to live like Joseph. And you will start to see things that Joseph did that you'd never seen before. And sometimes you'll have a passage of Scripture that you will read through and you will hear, and all of a sudden you will meet someone new that you'd never met before in Scripture. It was a great experience for me this past week. I was hearing a passage that I've, I've heard it, I can't tell you how many times. And a new character popped out that I'd never heard of before. And he's always been there. And he, and he was, he ministered to King David and I never knew about it. Because I always just, you know, read over it. Okay, one of those weird names and, you know. But you'll learn things that you didn't know before if you will give yourself and not just give yourself to a passage, but pray, Lord, Teach me how to put this into practice, how to live this out. It will open up new avenues for you. And lastly, don't wait until the flood comes to build your house. So, three positive things. Listen to God speak. Keep it, His Word before you at all times. Select a portion of Scripture to focus on in a week, but and don't wait to build. The time to build is when the weather is good. If you've ever done any building before, you know this. 
Contractors really have an aversion to working in tornadoes, as do most people, rightly so. But no one has an aversion to wanting to go inside a house during a tornado. Well, for us, we must build, we must be anchored, we must do these things that I've just mentioned, and others, whatever the Lord brings to you, anything that you think of that can help you become more anchored and grounded in the faith, we should do it before the winds come. You know, a lot of people, they don't meditate on the Word, they don't really read very much until they're facing the flood, and then where do they go? All of a sudden, boom, they say, I need some verses. I need some help. And that's, that's good. To, it's great to go to the Word at that time. But if you try to become anchored to the rock in the middle of the storm, it's going to be a lot more difficult. I'm not saying, I didn't say it's impossible. I just said it's a lot more difficult. But during the time that it may not seem like you really need this sounds terrible, but we, we, we battle with it every day. You don't really think you need him as much when things are good. Things are looking up. You know, life's going pretty well. Everybody's healthy. Not many problems. It's okay. And then the bottom falls out, and you say, I'm, I need something. And if you will build, when you need shelter, the house will be there. So the application is up to us. Jesus, it said in the last verse, verse 29, He taught as one having authority. He taught with more authority than the other teachers of His day. And that authority came from the Spirit of Almighty God. So just as Jesus taught with authority, He calls us to submit to that authority. He calls us to hear His sayings and do them so that we, too, might build on the rock. Let's pray. Our Father, we acknowledge that You have granted us all things in Christ and that you've granted us our salvation and that it cannot be removed by us and that we are secure in you. And I pray that we would now build as you've called us to build, that we would hear your sayings and do them, and that we would be firm and grounded in your love and grace and the teachings and instruction of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.